0: With Windows 10, the important thing to think about is that it is it is a whole ecosystem. And if you're thinking of migrating to Windows 10, it, you've got to take the opportunity to modernize the way you think about the operating system, modernize your processes, and modernize the management. And ultimately, what that will do is it'll, it'll drive out costs from various processes in the lifecycle of the device. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us in this podcast. My name is Stu Downs and within Capgemini, I run all our end user transformation offerings globally within our uh, cloud infrastructure division. And I've got some great folk from around the world with me on today's call. So Chris, could you introduce yourself, please?
1: Thank you very much indeed to you. My name is Chris Shuda uh, I'm responsible for Connected Workspace part of a portfolio where Windows 10 and Windows 10 migration sits. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And we've also got Matt with us from the US.
2: Uh, greetings, thank you. So my name is Matt Maudlin. I'm a managing delivery architect in the North American Cloud Infrastructure Services practice. Uh, my focus is on pre-sales and maturing the Windows 10, Office 365 and Active Directory spaces.
0: Thanks, Matt. And last, but by no means least, we've got Leon. Could you introduce yourself, please?
3: Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Leon Kaffa. I work for Capgemini Cloud Infrastructure Services in the Netherlands, uh, specifically in the end-user service area, uh, where I uh, uh, define the uh, strategy with our uh, uh, um, customers and also uh, support them in their transformation.
0: Thank you, Leon. Thank you. So. There's a real sense of urgency that's growing in enterprises around Windows 10, especially those that haven't necessarily uh, started the, the, the main deployments. And Gartner say that you know by the end of 2017, 85% of enterprises will have started Windows 10 deployments. Um, my observation is that the market's not quite that advanced in terms of the number of seats deployed. And the latest market data suggests only around half of enterprise devices are running on the Windows 10 operating system. What's your take on the on the challenge of timeline versus the uh, the adoption of Windows 10? Um, uh, you know, just shout up and, and jump in, Chris, please.
1: Yeah, so uh, this is very good question uh, for a beginning of the conversation. And from my observation, I can say that many of the enterprise enterprises have already moved to Windows 10, or they are in the process of moving to the new operating system. Uh, I observe different migration approaches. Uh, some enterprises decided to uh, connect migration to Windows, to migration to Windows 10 uh, with hardware lifecycle. So uh, the approach is uh, not a big bang for them, uh, but rather delivering Windows 10 together with new uh, PCs and other organizations decided to set up a separate project for that and uh, stick with a big bang approach. Uh, Both scenarios uh, have advantages and disadvantages. Uh, I'm not aware, to be honest, of any of a serious player uh, which uh, at least uh, hasn't started thinking about the migration and uh, frankly speaking is the last uh, call for those who are still on Windows 7. Uh, to switch to Windows 10 before the end uh, of, of the life.
0: Yeah, that's good. They're good points, Chris. And um, Matt, from the US perspective, are you seeing anything different in the North American marketplace compared to what Chris might have been observing with a more global view?
2: Well, I'm seeing um, uptake on Windows 10 deployments. I'm, I'm pretty bullish, meaning very, very positive that, that there's still a lot of opportunity here. Um, I'm dealing with several clients right now whose environment is running Windows Server 2003. So while cost is definitely a consideration here, I think clients may have started, many, many clients may have started. But the question is, where are they in that journey? Not only is cost the cost of any sort of hardware replacement a, a, a consideration, but also the legacy application portfolio and, and the cost to rationalize that or put a hypervisor, you know, in front in order to ensure uh, compatibility. So I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. I think we need to be strategic about it.
0: And Leon, the same, the same point in the Netherlands, um, how advanced do you feel the market is locally to you?
3: Um, yeah, when, when I look at my own customers here in the Netherlands, uh, I think uh, all 90% of them are already on uh, Windows 10. And I agree with uh, both Chris and Matt. It was primarily driven by uh, hardware lifecycle management, uh, where uh, it, in the last year it wasn't even possible to, to acquire uh, a Windows 7 uh, laptops anymore because of the new processor families that came out. Uh but uh, yeah, what I see in the, in, the, in, the, in the Dutch market is that we are now, f- with our customers, we are now focusing on the next step with uh, Windows 10, uh, uh, bringing it more to a modern desktop uh, approach where they're going fully the cloud native. So um, uh, in my point of view, uh, in the, the Netherlands, we're quite uh, uh, progressive in relation to uh, the Windows 10 adoption.
0: Yeah, so let, let's pick up on that modern approach and the um, and the cloud approach to managing experiences on devices. Obviously, Microsoft have got some companion um, capabilities with Windows 10, Autopilot, Modern Management, a set of cloud management tools through the Enterprise Mobility and Security Suite. What, what's your what's your viewpoint, Land, from that advanced market as to what's going on with those technologies?
3: So um, uh, the what these uh, new modern technologies are bringing us is that we are improving of the self-reliance of the, the end users. They are not uh, uh, as much um, uh, depending on uh, a support uh, department uh, to, to get uh, new features on their laptop or desktop. Uh, um, so, if you are, for example, uh, see the, uh, the Windows 10 uh, semi-annual semi-annual channel uh, version, it brings a lot of new improvements. While the actual support department uh, um, influence on that is quite quite limited, uh, so there's also uh, means that there is a mind sh- there, a mind shift from the organization itself, because you give a lot of freedom uh, uh, to your end users uh, on their own device. Uh, while in the past, uh, uh, even uh, uh, with uh, Windows 7, we were quite restrictive about what the user can do and what he cannot uh, do. Uh, uh, this is not in line with the expectations of the end users. So if you are bringing the new Way that you are managing uh, Windows 10, uh, you're improving the self reliance of your end users, and uh, and this has a positive impact on the end user experience.
0: No, that's they're, they're great, great points. Thanks, uh, Leon. Um, Chris, from your viewpoint, then obviously, um, lots of organizations have been architecting solutions for autopilot and, and modern management and looking at evolving the. The whole support process, because you you move to a model that allows the users to um, have an out of the box experience and uh, minimise the requirements of of local IT support needing to be involved in device builds, rebuilds, things of that nature. What what's your sense of that that contention between the traditional world of config manager and sets of applications that? Um, that, that are f- focused on a heavy user acceptance test approach and this modern world. What, what's your view on the adoption globally?
1: So, okay, so Autopilot is a quite new technology. And uh, in my view, it has not been adopted yet fully to the enterprises. And there are a couple of reasons uh, why Autopilot is relatively new for the IT professionals and the enterprises. Uh, first, the first reason would be that no, uh, not all OEMs or hardware vendors uh, already fully support this technology. Um, and maybe different, even uh, more, more important uh, reason why autopilot is, has not been adopted yet uh, on a reasonable level is that uh, IT professionals and organizations and enterprises are love to have full control over the devices. And Autopilot makes sense only if there is no um, something what we call SOE, Standard Operating Environment. So Autopilot um, is prepared not dealing with um, images, but to convert the OEM um, installed operating system into the enterprise-enabled one. So uh, in case that uh, IT professionals, IT departments uh, would like to still have uh, full control over the uh, end-user device, providing them with a, a SOE uh, image, uh, then our autopilot, uh, autopilot has no uh, big sense. And in my opinion, this is a reason why it's not uh, the, uh, the adoption of the autopilot is not uh, so huge uh, yet. But uh, in my opinion, this is the exactly way uh, where we are going, and there will be no step back. In the incoming years, there will be a switching from the on-prem uh, infrastructure, including NCCM, uh, into the uh, cloud, Intune, Autopilot, and adoption and uh, cons- con- consuming the cloud uh, will be bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think those that are listening might be thinking, well, we've gone straight off topic. We're, we're into how you manage devices. With Windows 10, the important thing to think about is that it is, it is a whole ecosystem, and if you're thinking of migrating to windows 10 you've got to take the opportunity to modernize the way you think about the operating system modernize your processes and modernize the management and ultimately what that will do is it'll it'll drive out costs from various processes in the life cycle of the device Matt, from your perspective in in north america this, this modernization approach is really critical to Windows 10. How are you seeing that challenge be adopted and initiated by enterprise clients over on that side of the Atlantic, please?
2: Well, I mentioned I've got uh, several clients today uh, that whose environments are, are legacy, um, their application portfolio is legacy. Many of their, their uh, Active Directory or their, their servers are on older operating systems. Um, and when we, we talk about this modern management, when we talk about autopilot, we have to, you know, I agree with what um, uh, the panelists have, have said, you know, regarding modern management. When I look at autopilot, it's also you need to open up discussions around okay is my are my foundational elements in my infrastructure are they prepared for more of a cloud-based service consumption is my network prepared um, autopilot as well we we have uh, concerns around the licensing so autopilot requires intune and microsoft back in 2018 has changed their stance on how they want to market the, uh, the Windows 10 SKUs. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to push uh, cl- uh, clients or, or motivate them to purchase the Microsoft 365 uh, licensing. And the Microsoft 365 licensing includes the Windows 10 uh, enterprise license. There's two flavors, an E3 and an E5 as well as Office 365 and Enterprise Mobility Plus Security. And both of those, all you know, so all three come in the E3 and E5 SKUs. So, you know, not only do we have to fix foundational aspects, we also have to motivate clients to spend the money on the additional spend to get those modern management capabilities or take advantage of features such as Autopilot. Now, I, I am in agreement that this is the right approach to take, but we're dealing with uh, corporate cultures who are very cost conscious. And so in certain industries, they may open up their wallets like financial industries. I'm noticing that they have more of an appetite um, to purchase those advanced features because their reputation is you know, like with any major company, their their reputation is very important, and they're willing to spend the money. And in fact, they're required to uh, uh, ensure that they meet compliance and regulatory requirements, which sometimes dictates um, that they purchase these more expensive SKUs. But there's also the fact that some of these companies don't want to be locked into a singular vendor, called Microsoft.
0: Thank you for that, Matt. So let let's let's come back to the here and now, we've jumped into the future slightly. We've looked at autopilot and modern management capabilities that are available today. And I think every all the panelists were suggesting that um, that, that adoption will grow in the coming years. If we come back to today, we're in February, just approaching March 2019. And we've got till January 2020 before Microsoft don't stop support, but force you to pay additional support fees if you want to continue to run and get patches for Windows 7. Apps are always the, the killer in the end-user estate. You know, normally the rule of thumb is there's around one app for every 10 users in an enterprise. And that, that number falls as you get to the really large enterprise clients. But it's about that average when you look at enterprises of naught to 30,000 users. And that's really interesting because those things are the challenging problem because businesses run on apps and changes to those apps or changes to the operating system that those apps run on has traditionally resulted in a lot of testing and a lot of validation that the apps are still going to operate because they are business critical. And, you know, a few years ago, the mobile industry came along and the operating system just updated and the enterprise couldn't control that. And any apps that they had on those devices had to be written in such a way that it was ready for those regular updates. Windows apps have never quite caught up with that, you know, in the enterprise. You know, you'll still find in most enterprise clients an app that was written by a person many years ago who has since left the company that's critical for a team or a group of people or even a business unit and that's the challenge that we have with windows is dealing with the fact that it was a brilliant application platform and still is today and though that that results in people being able to develop specific very specific apps that were compatible with previous versions of windows and each new version that comes along the app struggles more and more to cope so transforming apps is something that we at capgemini feel is very very important going forwards chris from your view where, where are we with the app transformation and what are clients focusing on with the application estates?
1: So uh, the focus on the applications is the most focus on the, on the migration to Windows 10 because without uh, having application compatible with the operating system, there will be a huge business impact because end user can't do their work. And uh, this is something what uh, obviously need to be addressed before the transformation, before the actual migration. So we are sure that after we migrated to Windows 10, end user can still work with the efficient way. And there are a couple of ways how we can address this, um, uh, this case. So first one would be, and uh, that maybe preferred one, would be to separate, if possible, applications from uh, the operating system, from the physical boxes. And this is something what we do in Capgemini as well. So we help our clients uh, to move to Windows 10, and at the same time moving applications outside this uh, Windows 10 uh, operating system. So uh, regardless of the version of the operating system, regardless of the device, uh, end users can still access their applications which are required for for their work, and make sure that the application We making sure that the applications are always compatible with a new releases and new versions of operating system. It was a just an example first approach how we can deal with that. The second one can be a virtualized of the applications, and this is a still valid way that we can close the applications within the virtual bubble and deliver the applications within the. Part of the operating system, which is required for the for the um, functions for the work, and this is why uh, and this is how we can deal with uh, with these challenges.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, a similar question to to Leon, really. So the the app side is really important. Um, but I know you've seen cases where clients are moving to more of a browser focus for applications and using using the browser as the point of access to all the enterprise apps. So what's what's your view of what's going on in the market in the Netherlands, please?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it depends on the industry uh, where, where you're in. So uh, a few of my customers are from the education uh, industry, uh, verticals, of course. And uh, they uh, uh, their application landscape is quite modern. They're quite... Uh, uh, and they have quite moved into the to the software as a service uh, uh, solutions, and only a limited amount of applications are based on legacy technology. But other industries, uh, like uh, a customer that Chris and I are working on, it's uh, um, in, in in the factory. Uh, they are not as progressive as as we wish them to be. Uh, but uh, with the introduction of Windows 10, uh, for the first time, it com- becomes really visible that the legacy applications and all the virtualization uh, solutions uh, that uh, uh, Chris uh, just discussed are uh, giving clear insight that the, the, these applications are uh, obstructing your in the level of innovation that you can achieve. Uh, so it's also for the first time that if you need to separate a application from the Windows 10 device because it's not compatible anymore, there's significant cost involved in that, which means that um, uh, it becomes visible that it's a, a cost uh, coming from the application and not from the operating system. You understand what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do. I do. I think that innovation killer and the technical debt that applications bring, especially the apps that sit on Windows devices, is a real critical issue that enterprises need to need to address. And you said you'd started to see the education sector addressing that because they've, they've completely modernized their, their app estates. Um, yeah. have, you, have, you seen, have you seen this come to other sectors? Have they started to react to this as well?
3: Um, yeah so uh, like for example the financial uh, uh, sectors uh, what you see there is that they uh, their application landscape uh, they have a lot of uh, uh, modern applications completely web-based uh, most of them are software as a service but they also have the the old systems that they cannot get uh, rid of and uh, these systems really become become a burden uh, from a uh, a cost efficiency perspective and also from a workplace innovation uh, perspective. And then uh, the solutions that Chris just discussed about application virtualization really can help an organization to still keep the traditional applications uh, it will it probably will cost them millions uh, to get uh, really get rid of them uh, but still have an innovative uh, workplace based on uh, modern management uh,
0: technology I'm just going to go to Matt I'm going to pull Matt in for some use from from North America and then I'm going to build on that point if I could so Matt what your what's your thoughts on the app modernization and app transformation landscape
2: well my colleagues, I think my colleagues were spot on with, um, with what they said. Rationalization of the application portfolio was one of the elements that they brought up um, to determine, okay, what are we, we going to do with our, our legacy applications? A certain percentage are going to be moved into uh, SaaS workloads, as Leon uh, was, was talking about. Some will actually have a hypervisor layer that will be placed in front of them. And, and I believe that Chris mentioned that as well. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity when we, when we talk about modern management of these applications. It's, it, it's an opportunity to, to not only you know, decide, okay, which ones are we going to decommission? Which ones are we going to put a hypervisor layer in front of it like Citrix or AppV or Browsium Ion? And which ones are we going to, say, move to a, a cloud workload, whether that's a SaaS or IaaS workload is, is to be determined, but it's an opportunity to now look at the underlying support for federation. So support for SAML or OpenID Connect or OAuth. It's not just the single sign-on capabilities that this provides, but it also provides future API connectors like SKIM connectors to help with user account uh, lifecycle management.
0: So you're seeing a, you're seeing a more open standards-based approach to solving the the future app challenges.
2: I I am, but but with some of the clients that we're dealing with, they've taken a unfortunately they've taken an approach of kicking the can down you know down the uh, the road, and they have. Uh, virtualized many of their difficult workloads, and they did this in a previous migration. So now we're having to face uh, scenarios where, okay, they no longer can kick this can down the road. It, it's not just the application is legacy, but the operating system that it resides on is legacy. There may be redundancies, you know, vertical solution stacks, multiple different applications that do the same thing. So, it's, it's really a matter of, of rationalization and then depending, you know, and then choosing the, the, the best movement forward.
0: It is. It, it, it is a challenge for enterprise clients. And I think that that challenge is um, you, you've got to win the innovation battle, haven't you? So if, if you're delivering services to consumers, you've got to develop an app for your workforce that's suitable for them to use. And in many cases, organizations are looking for uh, multi-platform apps to do that and are potentially looking for apps that they can include ink support tech support um, you know virtual assistant support within those apps so when they are recoding them the, the the amount of change for some of those older apps is significant because there's so many new features have have been brought into technology as a whole and incorporated into Windows 10 as well. Yeah, I
2: think I think the challenge, if I may, just add one last piece is when you're when you're looking at not just the legacy application portfolio, but you're looking at the uh, the end user devices, you also have to look at the foundational layer that that it sits upon. So Active Directory for one. And what are the changes, you know, if you're running a legacy active directory? Okay. Not only do I have to look at the application portfolio, um, I've also got to look at okay, what is Windows 10 joined to? So from an authentication perspective, if I have a legacy Active Directory and I'm migrating to Windows 10, is anything going to break? Mm-hmm. So I think the point to stress here is that it's it's not as simple as saying okay, well let's let's just go ahead and and uh, migrate you know the operating system. There's there's many As George Bush says, there's many points of lights, many points of light to consider, right?
0: No, indeed. Um, One of those, one of those points of light to consider, is also the fact that once you've made the first step of getting your app estate ready for Windows 10, you've deployed Windows 10, you sit back, you you relax. You, um, you think, yes, we've done it. There's another version of Windows 10 because they're now, as Leon had mentioned earlier, uh, on a semi-annual release schedule. So every six months we're seeing new uh, versions of the operating system. How are you seeing that influence the way people are testing the, their application estate? Because previously enterprises have had to deal with this challenge once every five years. And now you've got to change every six months and although you can defer that change, you're really looking at a maximum of about two to three, two years to two and a half years before you will have to deploy the latest version of Windows. It's a very different approach and a very different mindset for people to take. So, Chris, how are you seeing people uh, adapt to application testing in the world of semi-annual channels.
1: So this is a very good one. Uh, In my opinion, it's a quite emotional topic for many IT professionals. Uh, The reason is that exactly as you said, uh, that together with Windows uh, 10, Microsoft introduced a new approach to upgrades and patches. And now, if we would like to have a latest operation system version, we need to think about upgrading it even every six months, which is crazy when we uh, see the, the previous uh, versions of, uh, of, of of Windows, so seven or, or even eight, and uh, it brings some difficulties related to, in example, application uh, compatibility, and there are different approaches uh, to to have uh, to, to to how we can manage these uh, these challenges, and uh, uh, those could be, in example, a rings approaches uh, proposed by uh, by Microsoft or uh, small migration projects Uh, for different uh, um, enterprises it would be different approaches Uh, but uh, the good news is that uh, we can help uh, on on, uh, any approach to keep uh, this estate uh, evergreen. And the best approach, in my opinion, would be, we already mentioned it during the the discussion we we had uh, about the applications, uh, to separate the applications from the Windows 10 operating system, move them into more stable um, environment, which can be uh, Windows 7, and uh, then we can keep this Windows 10 operating system evergreen with a lower cost.
0: That's that, that, that. There's some good points in there, Chris. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring Leon in just to just to get his his perspective. And Leon, with your perspective, th- there are several ways of solving this problem, and, and some approaches are very um, analytics focused rather than user acceptance test focused. Um, what's your thoughts in this area, please?
3: So, yeah, yeah, I agree uh, uh, with Chris uh, uh, about the approach to, to, to bring it uh, to a server platform, which is much more stable from an update uh, uh, perspective. But another way you can uh, deal with that is uh, to build your applications in a way that it can actually deal uh, with the updates that are coming from uh, the Windows operating system. So, for example, the, the the applications that are available in the, in the Microsoft market, they can deal with the updates, so they are tested uh, for for a uh, Windows 10 update schedule. So uh, uh, Microsoft is uh, convinced that when they update their operating systems, the applications that will come from the Microsoft market uh, uh, will not break uh, uh, after the update. So. This means that there is there is a way that you can build your applications that it can deal with this uh, uh, with
0: these these
3: update uh, cycles. Yeah. And
0: that's a really good point in that Microsoft are really pushing ISVs and others to deliver apps through the store and effectively negate the need for the old application packaging business that that. Uh, many enterprises have, have leveraged to, um, to, to maintain the integrity and the compatibility of, of applications. So that's a really good, that is a, a really good point. Matt, from, from your perspective, um, how are you seeing people cope with the six monthly update channel question?
2: When we approach this from an application pers- perspective, I break it up into two distinct areas. Uh, server-based applications that the client connects to, and then locally installed applications. So, I think this this uh, servicing model, uh, that this this um, update model that Microsoft is 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 kind of pushing on people will force them to continue to keep and spend money on their their hypervisor solutions, Citrix, AppV, Browsing Ion. Um, for the server-based apps, now where I see the some of the the complexity comes into the locally installed apps, such as like third-party plugins. So you update an operating system, some of those third-party plugins may not work. And so I think that's where some of the um, you know not just third-party plugins, but what about um, VSTO settings? Yeah, I, I get that Microsoft can test that, but um, across the whole landscape of different Office versions, yeah. Okay, so oh, while Microsoft is saying this is this is the evergreen model, I, I think from a from a locally installed application perspective, it's there's going there's going to be some challenges.
0: Okay, no, that's a good that's a good perspective. Thank you. Um, final point for our for our discussion today. Um, obviously, a lot of enterprises today are not just looking at IT as a cost; they're looking at digital technology as a way of recruiting, retaining, and um, bringing and attracting the best talent into the organization. They're also looking at how we can increase engagement levels, because increased engagement levels directly correlate to the most successful businesses. And to do that, you really want to focus on a better employee experience. How do you think people are using Windows 10 to improve the employee experience
1: let me explain how it works from my perspective how uh, using windows 10 or maybe not only windows 10 but i would stick with the latest technology can improve uh, the business uh, uh, results Um, so i use different technology at home and i have some experience by using this technology at home it can be a uh, different hardware it can be a different operating system it can be different technology and uh, i used to use this technology the way i would like to use it which is convenient way for me and i would expect from the organizations and from my employer to provide me with the same greatest technology which i can use on daily basis we call it customization and if uh, in the enterprises, there is no way to to, to use, to to work on the latest technology, including Windows 10 operating system, then uh, my performance is going to be poor because I need to think how to do some things because at home I use a different uh, operating system, different software, different hardware, and rather than focus on uh, doing my work, I will focus how to do the work. So this is the the way how it works, and uh, bringing Windows 10 into the organization uh, and enterprises um, uh, will help to to resolve this gap between uh, home IT and uh, enterprise IT. No, that's a really good point,
0: and that that division between personal and professional use of devices is disappearing isn't it so mm-hmm. and and the design that we have in terms of the technologies that microsoft have incorporated really do support us in allowing and enabling that blend because traditionally we secured the device with windows 10 we can secure the data and the applications, and that's critical for an enterprise going forward. So, we've not really touched on the security benefits of Windows 10 in this podcast, but that's absolutely one of the key value propositions from Windows 10. Um, Leon, what's your what's your thoughts here in terms of um, in terms of this topic, please? Yeah,
3: yeah, I, I agree with you, but it's not uh, only about Windows 10, of course. Like you may already mentioned, it's uh, about the entire ecosystem. So uh, uh, what I see at my customers is that we first have started to migrate everything uh, to, to Office 365 or as much as possible uh, uh, to prepare for a successful Windows 10 rollout. So it's not only the Windows 10, it's the total ecosystem that will bring innovation to your end users that, that they expect, especially, like you said, from the uh, data protection uh, um Uh, perspective is that you can give more trust to your end users, uh, 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 more freedom on their device because you have changed the security boundary from the device to the data that you actually uh, want to protect. And that gives you some some liberty uh, uh, that's uh, required by the end users. So if you compare uh, a consumer and a a business uh, uh, user uh, most people that own uh, a Windows 10 uh, laptop at the moment will never, never ever call the uh, service desk of Microsoft because they have a problem with the device. I don't know anyone who has really done that uh, in in a in an enterprise. Uh, uh, each each user, uh, by average, calls the service desk once every month. Uh, so it means that. Um, uh, there's a lot to gain in this area uh, because primarily in, in the consumer market, uh, the, the, the end user uh, can uh, yeah help himself. And I think uh, that Windows 10, including the ecosystem uh, use, um, with EMS and uh, Office 365, is going to bring uh, that advantage to enterprises as well.
0: I think I'd add to that. I think we've got a responsibility as, as an IT industry to make those experiences as seamless as possible to prevent the... The need for somebody to contact a service desk twelve times a year—that that's something that we should not be. Um, as an industry as a whole, we should be supporting the change and moving away from from that model. Um, Matt, what's your what's your thoughts on employee experience with Windows Ten?
2: I, I think Leon encapsulated it uh, very well. He happened to mention something called a zero trust network. And with all of the kind of the back-end innovations that Microsoft has done on the security aspect, when I'm talking about a zero trust network, this is any device connecting to any application. And so when we talk about enterprise mobility plus security, or we talk about the Windows 10 uh, enterprise licensing, all of the additional features like Windows Defender, Advanced Threat Protection, Credential Guard, Application Guard. Windows Hello, all of these elements are meant to protect that device to be able to connect to not just on-premises apps, but apps located in, in the cloud. And so this is what I mean when I say a zero-trust network. This improves collaboration. And, and a lot of the Windows 10 migrations, as Leon pointed out, they're, they're either initiated or they're initiated with an Office 365 migration, or Office 365 migration is started shortly afterwards. So there's typically a coupling of how these technologies are rolled out, and security has to play a key because this is a this this modern world, this 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 cloud model that uh, many people are moving to, um, absolutely requires that you have identity data uh, protections. In this zero, in this new zero trust network,
0: I think that's that's really interesting. Um, and if if I add just my one point to to the user experience piece, it is it is a security feature that I think has brought one of the most um, well one of the best enhancements into Windows 10, and that is Windows Hello. So I, I'm lucky; I've got a, a Surface laptop with the necessary cameras on the device. And I literally authenticate by looking at the camera. And it's superb. As a user experience perspective, its security's increased, it's tied down to the hardware layer. So it's 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 absolutely rock solid from a security perspective. And the the, the moving away from the pain of passwords, or at least for that part of enrollment to the device and logging in, absolutely brilliant. So those kind of things, I think, are going to come in, bring better experiences for people and improve security at the same time. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you, everybody who's listened to the podcast. Uh, Comments and feedback is, is always welcome. As a reminder, you can subscribe to the Capgemini podcast channel through your favorite podcasting platform like Apple, uh soundcloud spotify poor, the the list goes on but all of the all of the common podcasting platforms thank you again for listening today goodbye